0: You're listening to The Boz Show, the socially conscious podcast for leaders. All right. Julie, welcome to The Boss Show. How's everything?
1: Everything is great. Thank you for having me. I really awesome. appreciate it.
0: <laughs> and you're on the East Coast, correct?
1: Yes, I am. Spring is springing here. We've got the crocuses, uh, a few daffodils threatening to, to show their, their flowers, so it's... Uh, a great time of year, one of my favorite times of the year.
0: Wonderful, yeah. I've been hearing a lot that uh, everyone's t- they're happy that there's no more snow, they don't <laughs> yes. have to be shoveling anymore.
1: Yes, I hope there isn't any freak, you know, April <laughs> or you know, heaven forbid, May snowstorms. It's not unheard of, so I'm keeping my fingers crossed. We're uh, yeah. getting snow, blower away this weekend, so fingers crossed. Yeah.
0: Well, in California, you'll you'll feel the same thing. I mean, out of nowhere, it'll start raining and there'll be a thunderstorm in the middle of the summer, spring, whenever, mm-hmm. and you know. Everyone feels surprised when it does happen though.
1: (laughs) Yes. I used to live in the Bay area and I was surprised, you know, coming from Northern Ireland, uh, when they would have floods and, Mm -hmm. uh, just how that would impact folks, particularly in Northern California. So,
0: yeah, it's, uh, it's really interesting. I mean, California, even though it happens regularly, but everyone freaks out as soon as it does. Yes.
1: Yes. I I still remember, gosh, this was back in 1997. Mm -hmm. Um, arranging to meet a friend for dinner and it was raining. And she suggested that we you know, do a rain check, which struck me as completely bizarre because if you had a rain check in Northern Ireland, you wouldn't go anywhere. So <laughs> <laughs> canceling a dinner because of rain just uh, wasn't on my radar. Yeah.
0: So wonderful. So you're, you're the founder, uh, founder for the Institute of Future Learning, the president of the ca- Academic Leadership Group, and you're an instructor at Harvard's Continuing Ed. So you're not too busy, right? <laughs>
1: Well, I need a few things to keep me out of it.
0: <laughs> so, uh, tell us a little about yourself. I know, I mean, I've read a little bit about, uh, about you, and you, you've won awards for basically uh, transforming the way people think about education. Uh, and you have a book out called The Human Side of Education. But uh, tell me a little bit about your day to day and what really uh, drives you to be passionate about education.
1: Sure. So, I, I have a somewhat of a non traditional background when it comes mm-hmm. to this work in education, I have not been a classroom teacher mm. uh, for K through 12, uh, but rather my work has been with adults. So mm-hmm. I've been working in leadership development, adult development, behavioural change uh, for 20 plus years at this point, point. Mm-hmm. and after about a decade of that work, this theme started to come up for me, which was that so much of what we were helping leaders do uh, was mm-hmm. essentially to unlearn what they learned through a standardised system of education. Mm-hmm and that brought me back to K through 12. I started to uh, do some research there and I found much to uh, my surprise that not a whole lot had changed since I had left high school mm-hmm. many, many years prior. So that prompted me to start the Institute for the Future of Learning uh, and to really uh, start to research what was working, where, where those bright points of light were uh, and how I might help support leaders in that work. So. I launched the institute informally in twenty eleven, and then formally in twenty thirteen.
0: So wonderful. So you, so you mentioned that there's behavioral challenges that uh, adults basically, you know, it's like sort of baggage that they take on through the K through twelve system, and it and it basically haunts them in the in, in the future. Uh, what does that look like? Is it problems with math, or what is it? What is it that <laughs> you know ultimately that at this point in life you're like, it's too much.
1: Yeah, I I think, uh, and again, uh, this is not through anybody's explicit fault. Uh, Educators Mm -hmm. are are amongst the most mission-driven and oftentimes overworked people on the planet. Mm -hmm. Uh, This speaks to the systems Mm -hmm. issues. It's a system, it's a bureaucracy that was built on consumption, compliance, and control. Mm -hmm. And any system, its goal is to perpetuate itself. So Mm -hmm. within this system, The outcome of it is, and it's unintended uh, for the Mm -hmm. most part, is essentially learned helplessness and waiting for permission. And Mm -hmm. I remember when I first came to this country, it was back in 1997, Mm -hmm. and I began to understand that you've basically got two options. One is to get good grades and go to college and have Mm -hmm. somewhat of a hope at a middle-class life, Mm -hmm. or don't and be relegated to a life of minimum wage or worse. And that's a pretty stark choice for for young people. And as I coached more and more 30, 40, 15, 60 year olds, there was this general sense of, you know, I I did what I was told, you know, I went to school, I went to college and Mm -hmm. uh, at no point uh, was I really asked, you know, what are my questions? What am I interested in? What what do I want to see in the world? Uh, And I believe uh, a well-lived life is a life where you're in hot pursuit of your questions. And school, as you know, for the most part, is all about having a one right answer. And that answer is at the back of the textbook. And the world just doesn't work that way.
0: So so they basically fell into a pattern of just being robotic almost, right? They're almost sort of following the motions. They know that you have to get these certain grades, go to college, and then you sort of just live life according to sort of uh, a criteria that's been set for you.
1: Yes, and, and for some people, it does work. Uh, and it's not that the system is you know not helping anybody. Uh, what I would say is it's becoming ever more competitive to get into college. If you've watched mm-hmm. that recent Netflix documentary mm-hmm. on the college admission scandal mm-hmm. <laughs> as one, one small example, uh, kids are under such tremendous stress these days mm-hmm. to get into college, uh, to get good grades. Uh, you know, and I remember you know, a couple of examples in particular. One was at a, a school up in Maine. I was chatting mm. with some students and a 14-year-old, uh, she raised her hand and she asked the question, when do I get to do what I want to do? Mm. Uh, and I asked her to share a little bit more. And she said, well, I'm told that I need to do these things and to study these things. This will help get me into college. When I get to college, can I then uh study what I'm interested in or do I have to wait until I finish college and I said you're asking yourself great questions because in my coaching conversations with you know 40 and 50 year olds they're asking themselves when do I get to do what I want to do is that when I retire so it's this whole concept of a life that we're putting off to another point in time which may or may not come and and again I'm a Gen Xer Mm-hmm. and i think i'm the last generation for whom it was possible to go to college and to get a good job uh, but the the pace of change is has been so accelerated you've probably read um, the research on the future of work and the need to upskill and reskill and the half life of skills yeah. covid has accelerated that and you know what used to be optional uh, my belief is that's no longer going to be optional you think about twenty fifty, just what that world is going to be like, and are we prepared to be flexible and adapt, adaptive, and to thrive in that level of complexity and uncertainty? Uh, again, it's back to a mm-hmm. system that is is grounded in predictability mm-hmm. and control when the world is.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can't, you can't control the world right now, right? I mean, it's especially with the tech world. I mean, they're sort of reshaping the way. Everything has functioned. I mean, the past year with the pandemic, everything that was once brick and mortar, traditional, is was forced to be online. So all the people that ran businesses, you know, educators, everyone had to sort of start thinking on their feet and adapt. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to one level they did, but I think the challenge becomes in the future, do people's personal skills matter as much, right? If mm-hmm. you have a person, if you're a great programmer, an engineer, whatever it is can your job just be ultimately automated 90% and then, you know, there's about 10%, which may be the problem solving or the complexity aspect that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wonder, I mean, is it going to be enough jobs for people or is it just going to be a world where, you know, the majority of everything is automated?
1: Yeah, I was, I was reading an, uh, an article yesterday. I wish I could remember the title of it, uh, where they were saying, you know, there's a lot of fear mongering with, mm-hmm. uh you know, folks becoming redundant, their skills becoming redundant, and I, th- I think mm-hmm. there's a there's a complexity here. There's thinking about your skills, and yes, there are skills that can be automated, and even mm-hmm. attorney and accountancy, you know, th- those types of jobs, parts of the parts of them uh, are are being automated. But we need to separate that from the ex- the existence of jobs. And mm-hmm. this person was making the point that the more we automate uh, and use technology, the more jobs there are. You know, Mm. think about, you know, even we have dishwashers and washing machines and tumble dryers. It's not like, you know, there's nothing left to do in the house at that point. We will always find things to do. The bigger question that I have is, as human beings, are we really tapping in to our potential? Mm. And for too many, you know, kids and adults alike, we live... A should life. I ought to. I should, uh, mm-hmm. and we typically don't live a life in first principles. Which is, what is the life that I want to design, build, and live? Mm-hmm. And I've always thought that ideally, if you're an education system, a system of learning for twelve years, you should ha- have those skills and that knowledge and habits of mind by the end of it. Uh, and you know, I'm hyperlinking here, but I'm also. Uh, flagging another project that I'm working on uh, with a number of colleagues, uh, Jenny, Janine, and Jean. It's like J to mm-hmm. the power of four in, in this work. And it's called Reinvention Mandate. Mm-hmm. And in that work, we're um, researching those folks who have reinvented themselves many times over their lifetime. What is it that, that they do? You know, what are their what what's their mindset? What, are, what mm-hmm. skills have they built? You know, what are the obstacles? Um, what have been the facilitators in that process, and I'm fascinated to see what comes out of that and what we can make public. Uh, because I just I just feel like we're at the start of a highly disruptive decade, and a lot of stuff has been fomenting for decades. And well, and a very interesting point. Right I mean, the,
0: the, this period. I mean, there's a lot of question question marks about just the purpose of higher education, mm-hmm. and um, you know what what it's going to look like in the next year. Should people go to college? Uh, interestingly enough, this past year, we know that traditional universities have struggled with marketing and recruiting students. Um, and what's happened is more for-profit universities that uh, have a, probably a higher level of marketing understanding and understand the customer experience ha- have basically taken a, a good chunk of um, students this year. And, and what it looks like is more students are looking for maybe something faster, affordable and more career oriented. I mean, to one level, it might be some students that just want to get it done with and move on, right? They just mm-hmm. want to do something else. But 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 I wonder what's what's keeping people from back from going into college and trying to figure out what they want to do. Is it just purely they want to, you know, they're forced to pick a career path that's just more, you know, lucrative, so they take maybe a STEM degree or engineering or something like that? Or is it just you know what causes them not to do what they love once they get, once they get into college, or have they not even asked the question?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, uh, and, and I and I empathize with this because it's something we all deal with. Uh, it's the fear of the unknown,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and the you know the whole concept of a job equaling security. Mm-hmm. The invention jobs are a relatively recent invention, mm-hmm. uh, and when you ask the question, what prevents folks from from going to college, you know there are folks for whom it is the cost is too high.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: If you're working two jobs to keep three jobs to keep afloat, you might want to study. Uh, you might want to uh, dig into a course of study, but it's just not it's just not feasible given your circumstances mm-hmm. and And you've probably seen the data. Uh, are bad as that how the cost of uh, a college education and the middle-class income you know that's going like that that yeah that gap is huge and it's and it's widening so we have mm-hmm. this widening gap uh, of the have and the have nots and it's you know very complex social issue
0: mm. so um in the future are you saying that um College is going to be less relevant for learning for the learning experience.
1: Hmm. Not necessarily. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily. I'm curious to see what what's sort of bubbling up around the periphery. So mm-hmm. you've got large organizations like Google saying we, we no longer require a college degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, and-, and
0: and they're offering. Certificates and training themselves, right?
1: So. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, if that's a career that I'm interested in, and you're saying it's you know x number of dollars, which is ten percent of what a college degree might be, you know, the math mm-hmm. is uh, makes that decision for me. Uh, I was also intrigued. I came across a a woman the other day called Rebecca Cantor uh, who mm-hmm. uh, launched an organization called Bellus, uh, where she's designed this game with some of the best uh, best folks out in the field uh, mm-hmm. to uh, test for cognition and higher order thinking skills. Mm-hmm. And she went to McKinsey and McKinsey was finding that they weren't, those large swathes of talent that they weren't, weren't getting access to because mm-hmm. you know, the barrier there is, have you gone to Ivy League? And that mm-hmm. you know cuts out the vast majority of Mm. So that's, that's
0: that's in their that's in their hiring process that they yes they just want someone from Ivy league. and what is it what is it just the connections or do they do they find people that are from Ivy league more talented
1: well by the uh, but according to what i was reading they wanted to diversify their talent pool and mm. this assessment a gamified assessment was one way to do it so mm-hmm. you know i've said for some time that assessment is the tail that wags the education system dog, as it yes. were, and until we get beyond standardized testing, which is a very blunt measure of mm-hmm. learning, and in many ways, strips the intrinsic motivation to learn mm-hmm. uh, from us, we're not going to see great great headway. So I'm also interested in what's happening with more innovative assessment methods. Mm-hmm. because And, and there's a, an argument here that if there were different means of credentialing, then Uh, folks of any age could cherry pick their learning opportunity. You go to edX or, you know, Coursera, you know, pick your MOOC. You could uh, pull together your own course of study. And if you can Mm -hmm. take an online uh, assessment uh, or virtual reality or whatever the mode is that you can actually demonstrate skills Mm -hmm. and demonstrate skills through a valid and reliable third party, then that, uh, really sort of blows the whole thing wide open at that point.
0: Yeah. I know, I know it's, I know it's very clear, at least for the tech field that you can, you can do that. Let's say you get a background in digital marketing or data analysis or something like that. You can go to Microsoft or go, go to Google's website and you can take an assessment to see how mm-hmm. you placement and then, then just get a certificate. Right. Um, I'm not sure if it's applicable for every field. I mean, mm-hmm. um, you know, Teaching, for example, is, is, is very different. There's some certain levels, but um, it's still, you know, it's hard to move away from the system that's already been created, right? Because mm-hmm. you sort of rely on it to um, get into the field, right? You can't you can't teach at a private, or I mean, public, univers- uh, public high school or public middle school without going through that standardized testing system.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I've met so many teachers over the years who want to do more innovative work, but mm-hmm. the system... Uh, the system provides such barriers that uh, many of them find themselves, you know, knocking their heads up against a brick wall.
0: So as far as behavioral challenges, so the questions that people are asking themselves in their forties and fifties is when uh, these are, these are leaders, correct? The people that you're working with, these are people that are already making an impact, doing something uh, that's essentially they're successful at some level. Mm -hmm. but they're going back and asking themselves these questions what's stopping them at that point if they have the money and the support and and the finances is it just because they've reached this part i mean what's stopping them from going back and just finding themselves
1: Hmm. (laughs) great question (laughs) think if we solve that one uh, (laughs) we can both go off and retire um so i go back to there's a um I go back to Robert Keegan's model of adult development. So I studied adult development at the Graduate School of Education at Harvard, and mm-hmm. Bob Keegan's course was one of my favorites because he really unpacks the stages of development, and mm-hmm. to your point, you know what's getting in our way um, at each stage. So he talks about socialized mind, self-authoring mind, and transformational mm-hmm. mind, and the vast majority of adults, according to Keegan's research, are in the socialized mind. Mm. And, you know, I I find myself in conversation a lot with adults who are in that socialized mind self-authoring shift. Mm -hmm. And the deal with socialized mind is it's all about, you know, the tribe and the community and, you know, and and working and behaving in accordance with those values. Mm -hmm. So if it's always been the case that in my family we do XYZ, and then Mm -hmm. if I'm thinking, well, I might want to do something different and I know I'm going to get pushback. Mm-hmm. You know, that really, that, that goes to your brain chemistry. That goes to, that, that's what I make to amygdala hijack. You're in flight or fight yeah. response, you know. Back when we were cave people, if you're on your own, you were lunch, literally. Mm-hmm. So all of this is embodied within yes. us. So it's, it depends so much on each person's unique mm-hmm. circumstances. Uh, but what I see as a thread throughout is When you're making this shift it's a shift from the known world to the unknown world Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and there's no guarantee and at the end of the day it's a faith-based move and that's difficult because we're so trying to be so rational and so logical Mm
0: -hmm. and you know the data obviously uh, you're you're saying it's shifting but the data currently in the past 10 years has also told you if you don't get a degree you're not going to be successful right Mm -hmm. so you're sort of up against that you know, what I find interesting, and I'm not sure if you watch this, this movie uh, that just came out on Netflix called White Tiger.
1: No, no, tell me about it.
0: So it, it's pretty interesting. It's about a, it's about a, um, a uh, Indian kid who's basically at the lowest of the lowest in India. And he talks about this white tiger, which is this, you know, very rare tiger, right? And mm-hmm. only comes, you know, once in a while. So this whole thing is about getting out of the, uh, the system that's been created for him. So he goes from his village to finding a job as a driver, challenging his driver. And then ultimately he keeps going through these hurdles and these challenges in life to, to really break out from the bottom. And then ultimately he becomes his own, you know, business owner and entrepreneur. Um, but his argument throughout the entire movie, right. Is that people are just sort of like you mentioned, they're all socialized. They don't even want to think about what they can do because they know that they're not going to be able to make it out. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, the odds in India are probably uh, much slimmer than the U.S., right? We have 300 million here. Over there, you know, you have almost <laughs> you have almost a billion people uh, mm-hmm. in just those few countries, right? Right, uh, right next to each other. So uh, the odds are much harder. And it's also much harder to get into a top university there than it is here.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's, it's much easier to get into Harvard than it is to get into the top university in India. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that just... It, it, it's almost like you're less hopeful uh, over there just because the odds are so difficult.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. And it, I mean, it. even here, you know, it, it's a relatively recent phenomena that you would even think, mm-hmm. could I do something beyond the circumstances in which I was born?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, think back to, you know, a hundred years ago relatively short period of time it was just mm-hmm. understood you're born into this into these, these circumstances and you will replicate for the most part what what you're seeing around you and your your horizons are within that 5 to 10 mile radius mm-hmm. but then you've got where we are right now 2021 and the entire world is in your po- in, in your phone in your pocket and you can access all manner of Information, knowledge, you know, hearsay, mm-hmm. <laughs> conspiracy theories, uh, and also models of what other people are doing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And you know, the internet, like any great power, can be used for, for good or for evil. Uh, but what I see on the good side is, you can meet so- somebody, you can meet your community that might not be proximate, but mm-hmm. is out there somewhere. And you know, that's the first thing that I'm starting to see through these reinvention mandate interviews. All of these people that we're interviewing are very, very different. Uh, the thing that I'm seeing so far, and I'm interested to see if this holds as we get through the research, is other people, mm. the impact of other people. So America, for the most part, is very individualistic mm-hmm. and there is a power that's untapped and not made explicit, uh, which is what's possible with others. and. Mm-hmm and in community and you know I'm I'm struck by how in in these interviews you know what one person said you know my grandmother looked at me when I was age four and said you have a purpose you're special Mm -hmm. and through extraordinary circumstances that carried this woman uh, through this extraordinary career Mm -hmm. another uh, guy saying there was a my my coach when I was seven uh, Mm -hmm. xyz or another person you know in, in my workplace there was this person who took me under their wing and showed me what else was possible so it's the, the
0: just so it's like the motivational mentorship right it's like the it's the yeah. mentor guide that sort of instills
1: mm-hmm. purpose
0: in you or tells you that you're actually valued with which most people unless they're well-performing student probably don't hear that throughout their k-12 journey
1: exactly exactly if every single kid was told in their lifetime Looked straight in the eyes and told you are special, mm-hmm. and you're here for a reason. And it, I support you. And then, oh, by the way, your brain is plastic, and <laughs> <laughs> and there's this thing called the growth mindset. You know, and that, that's important to know as well.
0: Uh, yeah. So, think. I mean, that's an interesting point. I mean, and I, I think, um, you know, I've seen that uh, just within my own life and my own friend circle. Just the power of just words and instilling hope in people to really. Mm-hmm. Um, move forward. But, but I also wonder, you know, I, I've thought about this a lot and, you know, I, I have, I have a lot of friends who are researchers and people that have, have a data background and they would always fight me on this point, but uh, because they, they look at the odds. Now, is this group, the minority, is this always going to be the minority group of people that are just like, who stand out and understand that they have to author their own journey? Um, or do you think it's going to become a bigger, uh, Population size is going to grow beyond what it is right now.
1: The short answer is I don't know. (laughs) What I hope happens is is the latter. So, again, it's uh, I remember uh, reading an article one time where someone described the logical, rational approach as in many ways that's lazy because (laughs) it takes a whole other skill set. Mm -hmm. To say, yes, I've got some data saying X, Y, Z. Mm -hmm. And maybe that applies to you and maybe not. Mm -hmm. Because that might apply to everybody else. But you are on your own unique journey. Mm -hmm. And I have seen what's possible when somebody decides, okay, I'm going to try this. Mm -hmm. And I think there's this sort of notion that's perpetuated through the heroic myth of Mm -hmm. In order to go for this, I need to burn my boats over here and take mm-hmm. this massive leap. And what I've seen be much more effective in practice is dream really big, mm-hmm. don't curtail those dreams, and ask yourself, what is the smallest baby step that I can take today to make that happen? And we tend to, again, go with the big, massive, you know, heroic move and all the rest of it. But baby steps taken with relentless consistency over time mm-hmm. yield tremendous results. Uh, that doesn't make for a good movie, but it certainly, I think, makes for
0: well, something I beautiful think that's a, I think That's an excellent point. I mean, take baby steps. You know, I think we are in a world that uh, pulls you to one extreme or the other, right?
1: Mm-hmm. If you're
0: walking down this path, you have to, or you you basically have to give up everything, right? Or stick to the the, the script. Um, Yep. Very finally,
1: very quickly.
0: Yeah. 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 So uh, I really like that idea of having the balance. Um, so I appreciate your time, Julie. Um, you know, you have an excellent mind. I mean, I'm really interested and fascinated by this, especially because you are a graduate of Harvard and you have uh, the credentials behind you. And what's interesting is that a lot of times when you talk to people that, ha- are, in, that are at that high level, the first thing that they w- do want to tell you is, this is what the data says, and you know, don't don't do the other exploration part, which always gets to me. You know, that was always my sort of, yeah. you know, problem with academia is that I don't want to fall into a routine of uh, a mundane, you know, very boring, you know, sort of just fall in the script. Um, mm-hmm. And if you want to even get into academia, it becomes that, right? You have to basically prove yourself through a doctor- doctoral program that's very intense. And then you have to very basically fight to be in tenure, and then you have to preserve yourself for a good amount of time, right?
1: Yes, yes. Uh, and I love a good research paper, and I, I love data, uh, and I view it as one. It's one slice of the puzzle. You know, mm-hmm. it's one slice of what may or may not be going on. And every single one of us possess, possesses profound wisdom,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and very rarely do we tap into it. All right.
0: With that, I appreciate it, appreciate your time. And uh, you have a couple of books out there, if you could just mention where to get them and, and the titles.
1: Sure, so The Human Side of Changing Education, you can get that uh, like every other book on the planet on Amazon, uh, or directly <laughs> through Corwin Press. Uh, the second book, I'm working on that right now with my colleague, Julie Stern. So that's going to be taking another look at the education system, uh, what's going on right now from a 50,000 feet perspective, and then what what we might do on the ground. Uh, to help uh, move towards uh, move towards a system that, that I think would really promote thriving uh, for everybody within it. Awesome.
0: Well, I appreciate your time, Julie, and we'll we'll stay connected.
1: Thank you, Arvaz. Great conversation. Thank you.
0: Thank you guys for listening to The Boz Show. Make sure to subscribe, like, comment, and share.